This Tome Show production is supported by Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine about all sorts of gaming. Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we'll get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and I'm your host, Sam Dillon. And I'm Jeff That'll Greiner, be- and our Man on the Street reporter today is Randall Walker. Randall, That's welcome me. back, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be back. Our perpetual guest. Uh, so, some quick um, feedback to discuss from the first episode, since we did say that that first episode was a a trial by fire, so to speak, and that we were going to uh, modify things and adjust things and, and make things better as we went along. Um, there was feedback that the alarm um, was overly abrasive. <laughs> um, That's putting yes. it nicely. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I like. I continue to like the idea of, of timing it. I think um, it's the only way to actually make sure that we get a decent amount of conversation on, on a variety of topics in. Otherwise, we could end up spending half an hour talking about one thing and then never talk about everything else. Yeah, I, um, think, I think we all agree on that. So we'll continue to play around with different alarms. Um, possibly one of these days we'll have the invisible alarm that nobody hears, but I'll just sort of try to move the topic on when when – the timer runs out. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Um, so we've changed alarms today, and we'll see if that works better for people. Uh, continue to send in your feedback. Also, we had one name suggestion, uh, that being the Chant in the Dark, which is a Planescape reference. The Chant in Planescape sort of can't, and their special little language means the news, and the Dark means the secrets. Um, I feel like it's a little maybe overly complicated and a little inside the belt line, a beltway for people. Um, who may, not, who, may, Beltline, who may not be uh, Grognards. <laughs> I, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and there is a highway or interstate that goes around the city called the Beltline, and inside of that is the downtown area, uh-huh. which is the capital of the, of the state and all that. So it made sense in my head. That's okay. <laughs> so any other thoughts on the name? Uh, I like it, but I, I think it might be a little lost on um, – the viewers who aren't as old as I am. How about if I say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mind a little bit of an inside joke. I just feel like an inside joke that maybe wasn't so long. Maybe, but it has. But but the key to making an inside joke good is that everybody has to understand what it means in general, and then it's an inside joke because part of the population understands what is really meant by it. And I'm not sure that this. Um, qualifies for the first half of that. All right. You know, it has to be meaningful to everybody, but only part of the <laughs> – there's only a set that will get the inside joke. Here you have to get the inside joke for it to be meaningful at all. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, how about something simple like the Herald? <laughs> oh, sure. Get all technical. We're, we're going to stick with a, a listener suggestion, and for now, um, um, we're other until then, we'll we'll stick with the news desk, and and maybe this will yeah. be another one of those things that we just do in every episode for the next seven years. <laughs> is is every, decide what the name of the podcast. Every is. every episode, ask people what we should name the show, and it'll just constantly be the news desk until somebody comes up with something better. That's that's <laughs> legit. Yeah, <laughs> Sam. What should people do if they have suggestions for us? They should email in suggestions to the Tome Show at gmail.com. All one word, the Tome Show. The Tome Show at gmail.com. Very good. 
And hey, can um, they can they call the biz line too, Jeff? Absolutely, they can. At nine one nine biz tome nine one nine b i z t o m e. We have some quick lightning round uh, news things. We're not going to give it our full uh, five minute discussion, but there are couple things we at least wanted to mention um, that were on the Watsi site recently. First of all, the there was an article sort of doing a, a retrospective of the con- convention season, mostly focused on Gen Con, uh, which I primarily mentioned because towards the top of the article, they mention and link to the Tome Show. So go us. Hey, there you go. Hey, there you go. That um, sounds awesome. That's right. And the other thing to mention is that they – Announced or talked about um, some new officially licensed T-shirts. Has either of you checked those out? Yes. They feel I do not they, like the choice. They feel very retro Uh-oh. to me. Mm. You don't like the new T-shirts? I liked. Well, I thought I was under the impression that they only chose one of the like six designs that were presented. Oh yeah, yeah, I see that. Okay, and I did not like the design they chose. It's okay. They went with the Minotaur. Um, I like. See now, lot. I'm, I'm rushing over there to go look. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what's going on because it looks to me like I can buy a bunch of them. Well, maybe I'm wrong then. If that's the case, but it's they talked about voting. Yeah, it's just it. Was that an article that you put on your thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking. Voting it says uh, it says the pre-sale of the shirt line. They're having a pre-sale of the shirt line, and they want to know which of the six designs appeals to you most. The winning design gets a discount during the pre-sale. Uh, so it's not that it will get made and the others won't. It's that uh, – it's, it's and so th- that was until October 29th. Voting has closed, and number five, which, which was – The dice ampersand. Yeah, the ampersand. Which I don't hate. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, it has become the uh, discounted – t-shirt but i believe oh, they're making okay. them all see oh if they're making them all then I, okay i like the blue box retro tee yeah i like that one i like the the retro tee the blue box one i don't really like the minotaur one um, i like I, the blue box retro tee because that is the very first version of dungeons and dragons that i ever played i have very fond memories of that so okay yeah i i, I of course for this for the same reasons i like number six the red box retro well there you go yeah um although so, i like yeah. the ampersand ones too because it's one of those things that Again, going back to the concept of the the inside joke, right? It's one of those things that th- those of us that get it know what it means, mm-hmm. and everybody yeah. else is like, "What is that yeah. weird symbol on your shirt?" <laughs> you know, right? It's like right. when I I go out in my in my uh, intelligence cap uh, hat that I got from the the Tome Show's Spreadshirt site, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and most people have no idea what that means, but I can tell if somebody does know what it means, they're part of you know they're one of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into the normal round of topics, we should mention our first sponsor, which happens to be Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine focused on all sorts of gaming. Check out issue three, which just came out very recently. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. 
Okay, so in this episode, episode two, we're continuing with our format where each guest has picked out two articles to discuss and be the expert on and let us all know what's going on. And we've called it from a list, which is available over at delicious.com slash squatch. That's delicious.com slash S-Q-U-A-C-H, um, where I sort of collate all of all of the various articles that we might discuss, and then each of us picks two things to actually discuss. And I'm going first. And I'm going first because I'm doing the art, the October in the works article, and we'll probably do this first. I'm guessing every uh, every month, since this is you know usually one of those things that we should probably talk about every month as a staple. It's letting us know sort of what's going on and, and what's coming out or what has come out in this case. October in the works. Uh, a couple things. First of all, the Dungeon and Dragon um, submission window is open again until uh, November thirtieth. So start sending your pitches in if you want to write for Dungeon or Dragon magazine. If either I've of you, done that. you have you pitched? Yes. Excellent. I have not gotten a response yet. Sam? No. I am going? pitching a dissertation at my committee, so Oh, I suppose that works. <laughs> I have three pitches I want to send. I think last time not last time. Last time I didn't send any pitches and two um, a year ago I sent in Oh, I must have sent in ten or fifteen pitches. I remember that, and I and I got a, some good. I, I got some yeah. good feedback on those, um, and so I feel like I'm, uh, there are basically there are three things that I'm actually really interested and passionate about doing right now. So those are the ones I'm going to pitch. I'm not going to do all the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also mentioned the new encounter season, which is the last part of the um, was it Rise of the Underdark sort of storyline that's been playing out this year. Have either of you been doing any uh, organized play stuff encounters? I have not. No. Excellent. I've only had a little bit of experience with it through, um, through Gen Con. There was a little bit of that going on and, and discussion of that going on there. Um, and it's an interesting enough story. I've, I've read some of, the, um, some of the tie-ins through the novels as well. Which people- what, I, what I find more interesting is that they're going to switch the format up and they're going to do it almost like a, a preview of D&D Next, right? So it's, it's not going to be fourth did i maybe my information's incorrect but i i understood that it's not going to be fourth edition encounters it's going to they're going to sort of play with the play with the formatting a little bit make it a little more open ended a little more sandboxy a little more uh towards the fifth the, or the or the D&D next mm-hmm. into the spectrum versus the uh sort of more combat oriented uh-huh. Fourth edition yeah, style. It, it does say in the opening uh, introduction here that they're they're going to give an opportunity to playtest elements of the next edition of Dungeons and Dragons rules. Um, whether that means it's not going to be fourth edition or whether it's going to be fourth edition that still uses some of the concepts for next, I guess we mm-hmm. don't. We, I, I don't know well enough to say. Sure. Because you know, at the sure. end of end of third edition, there were products that were coming out that were really mm-hmm. testing out some ideas for fourth edition. Right, mm-hmm. so it could right. be it could be an element like that where you're playing fourth edition but mixing in some of the f- uh, fifth edition ideas. Yeah, you know. sounds fascinating. So we'll see how I like, it goes. I like that. I and, think it's a great idea. And if anybody out there is doing the organized play and knows more, send us an email. And let us know. Uh, there's also a bunch of novels coming out between October, November, December. Some of these we will be talking about in our book clubs, and some of them we won't. Uh, Stone of Tamora is uh, the next in the Salvatore, R.A. and Gino Salvatore, Gino being R.A. Salvatore's son, uh, doing their, I believe this was um, their young adult um, series. Um, so the next chapter of that's coming out, and I haven't read any of those, so I don't know much more about it. 
Um, in November, we have Spider and Stone by J.L.A. Johnson, uh, which is an underdark focused uh, book there. And we are discussing that one as the next book club book. And Brimstone Angels, Lesser Evils by Aaron Evans will be coming out in December. And I suspect we'll be looking at that because uh, Tracy and I really enjoyed the first one. And um, Tracy especially really liked it. And, and we like Aaron. She's a, a cool person to talk to. Yeah, she did a great interview, didn't she? She and, did. Uh, and I've heard really good things about her otherwise, not just from the Tome Show. So well, good. That's, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. You mean you've been moonlighting with other shows? No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I have my ear to the to the to the uh, to the community. Okay, good. So moving on because we're running out of time. Uh, Dungeon board game is out, as well as Ed Greenwood presents Elminster's Forgotten Realms. Uh, both of those are out as of this recording. Um, so I have one in my hand right now. He has one in his hands, and I shall have both of them very shortly. Um, I, I'm told they're in the mail. Next month, the newest Dungeon Command set, uh, Curse of Undeath, comes out, which uh, we are planning a whole episode on Dungeon Command next month in November, so um, that'll be a good fit there. And then they mentioned some things coming up in 2013. First of all, they continue to, to tell us that early in 2013, we will see digital products um, coming out, so that's good that they're not hiding from that or backing away from that. Uh, we will have the Dun- Dungeon Command Blood of Grumsh series coming out, and we will have the first edition Unearthed Arcana reprints in February. And that's the time! Yes! <laughs> Just did it! Nice. <laughs> I win. Nice. Nailed it. All right. That takes us to Sam, who's going to talk about the Walking Dead article. Go! Yeah, so this article was uh, published on the website on October 9th. And it's by James Wyatt. He's doing a series of uh, of articles about uh, designing monsters, and and one of the reasons I like the series is because he's sort of talking about how you take something that may have a really long history in the game, and how do you make it fresh and new, and how do you incorporate enough elements to make it feel like D anD. d which, of course, as we all know, was was one of the issues with with fourth edition for some people. Not necessarily in the realm of monsters, but it is a concern for the design team. So I, I'm always interested in their insights with respect to this. And this article talks about uh, skeletons and zombies, and um, it's really interesting because he describes skeletons and zombies and ghouls and vampires, and he uses a a bolded keyword uh, for each of the of the different monsters and talks about how that relates to what they want out of the monster. For example, uh, skeletons, their sort of main shtick, if you will, are being soldiers. They're sort of the mindless soldiers. They follow orders. They make a really great large battle. um, And they're also... They can be powerful, but they're not powerful in in the sense of you know a, a vast lich or a, a big NPC that has lots of personal power. A skeleton is is sort of this animated personage that does not retain really the memories of its former life, uh, and which makes it maybe even more powerful because it's not afraid of of dying again, so to speak. Um, and so you can have these vast armies of skeleton soldiers. And then he talks about zombies being relentless, where they're also mindless, and they they were also sort of created by a necromancer, but they are 
relentless in their pursuit and just about the only thing that their brain is good for is determining uh, friend or foe. And if you're a foe, they just come after you and they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And one of the reasons they're so dangerous is that even though they're slow, they're really hard to get rid of and to to destroy because they are so mindless and you really basically have to attack them until their bodies fall apart to make them go away. Um, the point of this being that, you know, he sort of has written this article around the, the main concept of, of what they want and what the designers want this creature to evoke. So if you think of skeletons, skeletons and zombies are generally low-level creatures, but when you think of a skeleton, you think of you know a skeleton soldier. And when you think of a zombie, you think of a relentless, pursuing, horrible, ugly, nasty creature that is half decrepit but is still coming after you. Uh, and then he touches on ghouls a little bit. And he talks about how uh, their defining characteristic, so to speak, is their hunger. That they they are, I don't want to say cannibals, but if they were previously humans and I and they're eating a human, I guess that does make them a cannibal. And, and they um, actually kind of talks about that as as being a possible explanation for where they came from. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then he hits on vampires, which have the defining the defining characteristic of thirst, because of course they have an overwhelming desire for blood all the time. And while they are immortal for the most part, they are saddled with a horribleness of always desiring to drink blood. Um, but one of the interesting things that I thought was, um, of course, this article is a little bit from a few weeks ago. And so you can actually see the results of the um, – they do the little quiz at the end, you know. Mm -hmm. And he basically wanted to know how well the soldier skeletons and the resentless zombies and the hungry ghoul and all that match people's ideas. And you can actually see the results of that in at the bottom of the – Ancient Dead article that he wrote on the 16th of October. Um, and people, for the most part, agree with the idea of the, of the skeleton soldier. Uh, and that's about 75% agreement. But then it drops down to about 55% agreement for the zombies. I think it's really interesting because he talks about the differences between D&D zombies and movie zombies and, and sort of talks about how maybe the other you know or it brings to mind at least for me maybe how the other part of our of our cultural experience start to inform how we think these things should be within the D&D game and so I, I urge you to read the article and then go look at the at the following week's article and take a look at the percentages and the responses that people gave and I almost made it under five minutes almost yeah yeah and I, I wanted to point as I read through the article I actually felt like I agreed with Everything on there except for that bolded keyword on skeletons. Really? <laughs> for, yeah. for, for whatever reason, skeletons don't feel like soldiers to me because they're just too brittle, too weak, you know? Um, when I think well, soldiers, so he, maybe, it's, maybe it's my fourth yeah. edition mindset, right? Soldiers are the tough guys it, that block. Yeah, but he, he brings up the, the fact that the reason they make good soldiers is because anyone with a, with a sharp-edged weapon does less damage, right? And most, most battlefield combatants would have things like swords and daggers and sharp things which don't harm skeletons as much as a blunt weapon like a mace. Yeah, I suppose. But so I'm, I'm still not that's, sold. That's part of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but. I, but that's what I, I think it's a very – I think the way that the, 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 the quiz or the, the 
what do you call it, the poll at the end is worded a little bit strangely, but it evokes some pretty interesting answers. That's why I urge people to look at the answers as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That was quick. Not a lot of time for discussion. Yeah. Let's move on to Randall, who's going to talk about the playtest update Legends Legends and Lore article. Go. Yes. So um, the second second packet is out and – or was out around Gen Con. And apparently they've got a huge number of people that are looking at the playtest. They're saying the numbers are now at 85,000. So chances are if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably in the (laughs) playtest. Man, they should require everybody who downloads it to listen to the show. That's right, exactly. (laughs) That's good advice. Um, They were very quick to point out some things that were wrong, and I can echo these. Um, The sorcerer was way overpowered. Um, uh, For the level, first level, they were doing tremendous amounts of damage, well and above anything I'd ever seen from a magic-wielding character in the game before. Um, And the warlock was sort of like all over the board. Oh, I'm sorry, I had those switched. Sorry, the warlocks... Eldritch Blast was way too powerful. Yeah. The Sorcerer was all over the board. Was it a was it a spellcaster? Was it a fighter? It had all these elements that in in the build that they gave that gave you the indication that it was some kind of magical fighter more than it was mm-hmm. a spellcaster, mm-hmm. which is not a lot not what I would see as a vision for a warlock. I suppose that may be one view of it. Um but it's it, regardless of how you personally feel about it, it was all over the board. So they need to really lock down what a sorcerer really is. Yeah, and you followed up a little bit on that too with a later article dealing yeah. with the different types of magic and, and how to fit all those different types of magic in um, and some different directions they're going with that that I'm not sure how thrilled I am with. But, I, but we don't have the, the final result, so we'll wait and see. Right. Um, some other things that the – that they said went wrong. Um, they're still having issues with wizards and, and hit points. Um, I don't really think they've got the magic system locked down yet. Um, they're trying a bunch of different things. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be really surprised if this wasn't hammered out until, uh, you know, six months before they decide to go live. I honestly think that they'll play around with it that long because it's such an important part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to see more improvement with the rogue. Um, lots of healing issues still. Uh, uh, monsters were too easy to kill this time. The monsters were real nerfed, uh, and they'll probably you'll probably see that change in upcoming versions as they try to float it back and forth. I think the important thing to remember in all of this going back and forth with the rules is that they're trying to find the sweet spot. And you know where is it? Where are things balanced just right between the character abilities and how powerful the monsters are, and how well all that scales. Um, you know, fighters are coming along well. Clerics are coming along well, um, despite not having a good healing system in place yet. But um, uh, I think one of the things that the big thing that surprised me with this article uh, was that a lot of people are still having issues with the number of hit points you get as a first level character. Mm. Now, I am I'll, uh, totally upfront. I have been playing the game for a long, long time, and so uh, by some definitions, I could be considered a grognard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not because not oh. because I hate later versions of the game because I certainly don't and I've played them all. I run a four E game now that you guys can hear me talk about on behind the DM screen. So it's not the version of the game, but my the point is is that um, you know what if your characters have low hit points, you're going to figure out things to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's I, interesting. I think that's an area where you're going to have a, a clear split between players of different editions, right? 
different uh, ages, I think. Yeah, I mean the fourth ed- the fourth edition people are used to ha- having very survivable first level characters, and everybody else is not, and have different expectations about what's going to happen there. Uh, and I just think that it's uh, a whole lot of trouble over nothing. I, and I think what they really need to do is is make a decision early on and say characters at this point will be this powerful. Bam. Eventually, they, eventually they'll have to make that draw that line. They'll have to make that call, and I'm honestly hoping that they'll opt for a little on the lower side or more of a on the earlier edition type side. You know. Well, and if you don't like that, then you'll do the same thing we did in earlier editions and just say, okay, we're not going to be that weak in our game, so everybody start at third level. I see what you're doing, though. Yeah, I mean, this I think is part of the play test is a very good thing. I mean. I agree with Randall. I, I'm, I'm sort of been playing for a long, long time, and so I, I like the sort of idea that you could die relatively easily because it makes you be a little more creative, so that your character doesn't die. Uh, yeah. But I understand there's a large percentage of players that don't like that, and and what I think what the designers are doing is they're trying to tweak things so that there's a good enough there's there are good enough options and good enough things. Darn it! I'm using your time. That's going on in order to let people see that. Rather than just say, well, you know what, this is the way it is. You're going to have not very many hit points. They're saying, okay, well, yeah, we're still considering this, but how about this? How about that? And letting people sort of feel it out and come to it amongst themselves, which I I think is a great thing. If I can make one more point. I know I've gone over time. Yeah, sorry. That was my fault. Finish your thought. Particularly for the wizard. People are complaining that wizards don't have enough hit points. People – Wizards never have enough hit points. <laughs> that is the way it is, okay? I'm letting the grognard out right now, out of the cage, to tell you. Wizards are weak. There's a reason you cast a fireball at third level, okay? That will blow many, many of your skeletons that you talked about earlier away. Because <laughs> wizards are weak. That is the way it is. That's the way the rules should be. I'm saying it right now. Send your hate mail to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ranto, your guest has finished his rant. Uh, let, you send your hate mail to what was it? Uh, hate mail at tableforone.com? Yeah, no, tableforone.com. That, that, uh, that, that's hate mail. That's hate mail. Tableforone.com. Okay, that's right. <laughs> we'll let Thaddeus take all of our hate mail. <laughs> well, it's, he has an auto response on it. If you actually send an email to that address, <laughs> it's an auto response. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> We'll let people play with that on their own. Well, we'll take a quick break here to mention our second sponsor of the episode, Noble Knight Games, a game store that specializes in finding out-of-print game products. Randall has picked a product of the episode for us. Randy, what'd you pick? Hey, I was looking on Noble Knight's site, and I found Isle of Dread, the first printing, the blue copy, and only four bucks at their site right now. So, yeah, it's a great steal, actually, since a lot of those older uh, first edition and before modules are going for... uh, uh, high prices on places like eBay and such. And um, everyone who has played the game for any length of time probably knows what the Isle of Dread is all about. So but check it out at Noblelight Games. And if you don't know what it's all about and you want to know what's so great about it, you can go over to RPGmusings.com where I recently wrote an excellent review of the Isle of Dread. That's right. <laughs> it's so modest of you to call your own review. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I caught that after I said it. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. With a huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. Uh, so we're back into it, and I am taking up the, the next topic of conversation. That is a PBS video. Uh, that's right, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting has put together a video on their YouTube channel that discusses Dungeons & Dragons, titled, Can Dungeons & Dragons Make You a Confident and Successful Person? From the Idea Channel from PBS. Did you gentlemen get a chance to, to listen to it or watch it? I have. I What's really interesting is at, is at the end they ask some questions about it, and then on their next episode after that, they take the last ten minutes or the last couple minutes or whatever to uh, discuss feedback that they got about the questions about the previous episode. Right. So I can't wait for their next episode where they talk about the feedback they got from the D and D episode. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be good to see. But I liked it, and to answer their question, I mean, actually, I'd say yes, and it goes both ways. Um, I've worked at a corporate environment now for um, nearly eight, well, over 18 years, and I have found that my skills that I've gathered in conducting meetings and things at the office has actually helped me be a better DM. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it goes both ways, actually. So, I think that the video um, not only is it is it good for that and answers that question, I think it's also a very good introduction. To people who don't know really anything at all about D&D, particularly with the accompanying graphics, I mean, you could listen to it and still get a lot out of it. But mm-hmm. looking at the video, now, the one thing about it, particularly if you're showing it to older folks, <laughs> is that it's pretty damn kinetic. Yeah. The guy talks like a mile a minute, and it's very fast, and it's very geared for a younger generation, I think. But mm-hmm. beyond that, I thought it had a lot of great information about what uh, role playing, what D and D and role playing in general are all about, and it's great for people who are not do not know anything about the game um, to take a look and see. So. Yeah, and I I feel like that it it very aptly sort of highlights the both the the stereotypes and the benefits of the game as 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 a teacher I see it on several levels. Right, uh, I've found that being a DM and and being involved a player of D and D has improved my social skills. Um, has led to me to you know building a community like, like and, and a hobby like podcasting right mm-hmm. um, has made me a better reader and vastly improved my vocabulary because I'm having conversations with intelligent people about complex things be they fantasy things or what ha- what have you but I know ways of describing them that other people don't necessarily know um, and then I also see it in, in students as well I've seen students who are sometimes you know socially awkward in every situation, be able to sit down at the game table. And because there's that little bit of structure from the rules around that social interaction, they flourish and they do really well and they learn skills that they can then carry over and apply to other situations. See, I think being a DM and having the role-playing experience has made me a better teacher mm-hmm. and informed. it's informed my life from, you know, since I was eight years old. And 
in, in, in many, many, many good ways. You know, it's sort of the stereotype of, you know, living in your mom's garage or whatever and, and not ever having a date or, you know, whatever. But none of that was ever true for me. And so, you know, but, but the things that it, the video points out that it does for you that are advantageous, like learning different social skills, learning how to sit around and work as a group, uh, learning how to be focused you know, television tends to go in 60-second spots, and we're a nation of sound bites, and we're a nation of, you know, internet communications versus face-to-face -face communications. But if you work in a place where you have to be able to communicate face-to-face, -face, as well as, you know, through Facebook and email and all that stuff, uh, role-playing is an excellent way to hone those skills and try things you wouldn't necessarily try in your real life Absolutely. to see how they work out, you know? I think so. Some of the and some of the best friends I've made in my life I've made because of of role playing games and because of the social interaction that comes from that. The only thing I wish um, is that I wish one time I would find a an advocate for for tabletop gaming that didn't already come from the tabletop gaming community. You know, somebody who was introduced to it and then and said, "Wow, this is a thing." Um, you know, because it always feels a little bit like it would have a little more legitimacy if it wasn't coming from one of our own. You know. Yeah. You say that, but you know the the ambassadors, in generally speaking, to every hobby, mm -hmm. are they either most of them didn't come to it late in life. Most of them were at least exposed to it, maybe by their by their parents or or older siblings. Sure. And even if they didn't get into it at that point, they knew about it later on when they were finally exposed to it. Well, That's, and, and that that goes for the majority of hobbies, no matter what it is. And it would go the other direction if it was somebody who wasn't a longtime player, right? Is that then we'd be complaining that this person, you know, where does this person get off complaining, uh, describing our community when they're not even part of it? Right. So right. you know, there's always something to, to whine about. Sure. Next, Sam is going to talk about Power Creep. All right. Well, in the September 27th D&D Next Q&A article, um, uh, Rodney answered three questions. And the one I find the most interesting is the Power Creep. So I'm going to answer that question first. And then if there's time, I'll talk about the other two. Uh, it says, what strategies does the design have in place for mitigating or preventing Power Creep? And um, that's a huge issue for me. And in terms of importance to the game, because I really feel like uh, if the sweet spot is down in the in the first five levels, uh, but yet the game is supposedly built to go up to level thirty, but it kind of falls apart above level ten, let's say that that's an issue for me. I, I really feel like you know it, it, if it's meant to be designed to to run one through thirty, it should run one through thirty, um, and so I think fourth edition didn't do such a great job of that. Um, it did some things really, really well. That's not one of them, unfortunately. And so I feel like it is a big deal for me how they are planning on dealing with this issue in the next edition of the game. And, and I find his answer actually really enlightening, even though it's relatively vague. Um, so a couple of th points that he makes is that um, the advantage-disadvantage system, the, the mechanic that they have in there with the advantage-disadvantage it actually takes care of a lot of modifiers that would creep along with level advancement. And so because those things are now gone, you're not going to have a, a creeping sort of power edge that comes along with the advantage-disadvantage. It's just going to be advantage-disadvantage, and that's it. So that gets rid of a ton of modifiers, which I hadn't thought about 
the advantage-disadvantage mechanic in that way previous to reading this particular article. Um, but once he pointed it out, I started thinking about it, and, and it really does make sense that uh, – because already, I'm already predisposed to liking the advantage-disadvantage uh, idea because I really liked it in the first playtest packet. It was one of the best things I thought that they brought in, and it's one of the sort of new things that are coming with D&D Next. Um, but even, you know, even this just makes me love it even more because I really think it does – have the possibility at least for reducing or you know reverting some of that power creep. So that was one thing you said. And the other thing was um, that uh, the design for D&D Next is based on a lateral expansion of, of power, so to speak. That is, when you increase in level, you get more options, but you actually don't become extremely powerful. Um, the increase in power is a teeny tiny baby step. Uh, but you get lots of options. So it still makes leveling up meaningful, but it's not meaningful just because it makes you extremely powerful, uh, which I really like that idea because I think that that will allow for a wider range of, of levels that could fall into the sweet spot. Um, what do you guys think of that? You, did did you read this article? Yeah, I did. I'm I'm skeptical? <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm skeptical. First of all, I think I have a different issue with power creep than what's described here. The, mm-hmm. the power creep that I think most people have complained about isn't necessarily that the game falls apart as you get higher level, but it's that as more and more products come out, the the power level of everybody goes up because all the options are sure. created and suddenly the first books um, are useless because all those classes are weak compared yeah. to all the later books and all that kind of stuff. That's yeah, that's... Yeah, that's not really what they're addressing. Right, they're not they're not dealing that's with that true. at all, yeah. and that's the power creep I'm more interested in because part of me says, "See, I, I call that bloat." I don't call sure. That. Well, and that's fair too. Yeah. Either way, however we define it, but but part of me also says that um, I like the idea of having characters that become super powerful. Um, I, I, I obviously there, there's different styles of play, and sometimes I like the characters that become the superheroes of the world. You know, in a D and D setting, I think that's part of what D and D has been and and yeah. and, and is. Um, and so I hope that. And, and at the same time, I also think it's a little disingenuous to say that that they're doing a lateral um, mm-hmm. sort of expansion well, so, instead yeah, of that. So, because every so me, every time you add yeah. an option, you you create more opportunities for. Well, let for me, right. So let me clarify though that what what they're saying is not that you don't gain any power. It's just that they're trying to make the majority of power, the majority of things that you gain. In general, when you level up, say, one level, is not going to make you extremely powerful. It's going to open more options. Now, what happens over several levels is that you eventually do get more powerful because all those little tiny things add up to become a much more powerful PC because of different options. Eventually, Raceland has to become the Archmage. Right, exactly. You, you have to. You, no, seriously, you have to eventually. I mean, that that is really kind of the point where I think what he's saying is we don't really know how we're going to deal with this because it has to do with a lot of playtesting. But right. here's how we're approaching the problem, and that is instead of having every level cause you to gain a great deal of power to make that a really big deal that you gained that level, they're trying to do other things to make it a big deal, but those things don't necessarily directly add to your power until you get five or six of those, right? And then when you're level, you know, five or six, you could expect to be much, much more powerful than level one. But level four and five might not be as extreme a power difference, and level five and six might not be as extreme a power difference, right? It's almost like um, a congested logarithmic right one to six is extreme difference but you know five to six not so much and it's an issue of of wait and see too you know and i can fix both problems how's that the first one on bloat and things like that 
is that you be very specific and you release additional options for a specific setting. And, and you make it very clear that these options are for this setting and that you could experience a power problem if you allow them in your ordinary settings. You just make it plain. You which, just make which, it plain in the rules. From, the, from my conversations at Gen Con, it sounds like that's the direction they're headed. But of I really course, but, of, so. but of course, that being a plan and that being, you know, when the rubber hits the road, who knows what happens, right? Because and, ultimately, they got to publish stuff that's going to make them money. And right. one strategy might be more profitable than another. So we'll, we'll and, the, and the second one is allow players to uh, characters to get power in ways that are have not been traditional for the last couple of versions of the game. Allow them to easily gain keeps, lands, hire retainers, get you know uh, found their own church or their own thieves guild. Sure. Give them the rules to help them do that. Well, and I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't mind a. a uh, you know, an epic module that allowed you to then take it to the superhero levels of play, and otherwise keep it under that. You know, if you'd like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, I think doing it as it's an optional module to, would be a way to do it. It's a valid way to play. All right, let's move on because yeah, yeah. we ran out of time a while ago. Randall, oh, last... I, I didn't hear the sound. Sorry. It, yeah, that's fine. Randall, you're up. Yes, I'm going to kind of do a mini lightning round. I've got three questions here on the Q and A that I looked at, which was from October 4th, which is still fresh in a lot of people's minds. That's my birthday. Hey, there you go. Happy birthday, belated. <laughs> so, um, the first one is on uh, our specialties considered as a means of implementing multiclassing. Multiclassing is a big uh, uh, controversial uh, topic for uh, gamers to talk about. Some people really love it. Um, some people, me, hate it. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's it goes both ways. I understand it's always been a part of the game. It probably always will be. Um, I like the idea of seeing specialties being used um, – to sort of like they call it soft multiclassing, where you know you could have a cleric that dual wields to feel a little bit like a fighter or that kind of thing. And as long as those specialties continue to be um, what I would call class neutral, which is kind of my own term for it doesn't matter what class you apply them to, that they all apply equally, which is hard to do. But there are certain archetypes that are that that works out just well with, and I think that is a good way to do multiclassing. Um, that said, did you catch the Legends and Lore article that Mike Merles wrote just about multiclassing? Probably not. Okay. So, and, yeah. and and he basically says that first of all, it's going to be a, it's going to be one of those optional modular things. It's not going to be built baked into the game, but it's going to be an option that we provide. And second of all, it's going to probably look more like the third edition multiclassing than anything else you've seen. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So issue number two: Will there be varying rates of progression for groups as they enjoy slower or faster? If they enjoy slower or faster advancement. And they said that was an easy one. Yes, and I think I agree with that. Um, you know, provide a chart, let them know what it looks like, and that should be pretty straightforward. You know, games uh, different. Even in my 4E game, I've decided recently that my players are going to advance two levels at a time. So sure. just to move things along a little faster. Well, and so, I'm, somebody, I'm oh. one of those people who abandoned experience points. Oh, know, I did too. Year, yeah, years ago, back. so I can advance. Yeah, I can advance yeah. at whatever pace I want now. Yeah. Yeah, they, they and, level up when oh, I say they level up. Yeah. Yeah. So issue number three, what challenges are figuring out how to handle small-sized player character races like halflings and such? Um, basically, it was more of a just looking at what are the issues surrounding um, small characters, you know, uh, things like – and I'm kind of reading as I go because I can't remember exactly what all it said. <laughs> um, you know, making sure that the penalties against them aren't so powerful that no one wants to, or so strong that people don't want to play play them. You know, if you've got all these negatives to attack bonuses and things like that, no one's going to want to play a, a small character because mm-hmm. what's the fun in that? Um, 
Uh, At the same time, you can't just take away those penalties because then they don't feel like a small character anymore. Right, exactly. You got to you got to balance it. You know, maybe give them you know something like nimble or whatever as a trait so that you know kind of balances things out. Right, because um, that because that, that was honestly a solution in some previous uh, editions, both both fourth and third, was you had small races or you had large races, and the solution to to not to to keep it balanced was well, we're just going to give them these traits that make it work like medium sized, no matter whether it's small or large. <laughs> So right. then we don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Now, quite frankly, I like. I mean, um, I like small characters, and and my wife loves to play small characters. So, um, you know, it's a topic that's going to be important. And I think that I would rather see small characters in the game than large ones, um, because I think that actually, from a uh, this is going to sound strange, but from an architectural point of view, I hate dealing with large characters. I get that. They don't fit in any of the rooms. They they don't you know yeah. it, it's just it's they don't fit in elevators you know they must they they, me, they mess up my my design aesthetic for dungeons because now you know if, if it's a dungeon made by giants I got to make everything four four squares wide and ah <laughs> yeah exactly right mm-hmm. is that it because you got fifty one seconds I got fifty one seconds wow excellent you can talk about whatever you uh, want for the next forty six seconds. <laughs> Make sure that you're also listening to Behind the DM Screen <laughs> oh, with Mike Shea, Jeff Greiner, and myself as which we is, talk about our campaigns. Which is hey, also not up to date. I, I think one more episode i got to put out yet. Yeah. So there you go. I, I was able to plug another Tome Show production. Very good. So. All right. Well, we'll call yeah. that good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank Continue Magazine, Noble Knight Games for their support, and Randall, our street reporter slash constant co-host. Also, don't forget to email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com with your suggestions on format and naming and on the buzzer sound from this week. And also swing by the tome. <laughs> swing by the tomeshow.com for show notes. Uh, and is there anything else I'm forgetting? If you'd like to call and and if you say something interesting, maybe we'll play you on on the air. We get you very, can we get call very us. Few calls. Yeah, you can call us at nine one nine Biz Tome. That's nine one nine B I Z T O M E. Did I get that number right? You did. T O M E. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So until next time, this is Jeff Griner signing out for myself and Sam Dillon. Time shifted from the news desk here in the Outer Plains. Keep gaming, Tomites. Mm-hmm.